are now joined by the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers because rookie camp is underway. Derek Taylor on a hot day in Winnipeg. How did it feel to be out there on the football field again? It was the first day, Christian, of 2023 where I had to contemplate how do I avoid getting a sunburn? It was that good. The weather was perfect for the rookies this this morning. It was fantastic. So, rookie camp, what are you looking at as a person covering the team going in? Because you're going to have five or six days here. You can't do all the storylines on one day. What are you looking at on day number one? And is it Michael O'Shea Jr.? There was certainly, oh, where's Michael O'Shea Jr.? Let's let's see. There, there are probably... There are probably 20 storylines, and we won't get to because it's only three days right before the first set of cutdowns. We won't get to do them all, but uh, we were looking at Michael O'Shea Jr. and and, and amongst 10 receivers and, and plus two veteran receivers, and you go, okay, well he looks like he fits in. Okay, that's because rookie camp is funny because you know you look at these guys and they're all incredible athletes off the bat, but now you're comparing them to other incredible athletes, and you go, okay, well that guy's pretty fast. Okay, that guy's got. Oh, that guy let it get to his body before he, he tried to catch it. That's not a great sign. Oh, that guy runs kind of stiff. So for me, it's just kind of the most basic, is this guy going to be around come come Sunday? So uh, O'Shea was one. You go, okay, well, there, there he is in the receiving drills. Okay, well, let's see him do some special team stuff. Let's see how he does in the repetitive run 25 yards, stop, turn around 25 yards back, and do that for 300 yards drill. Okay, he looks like he's in shape and he's ready to go. Okay, yeah, let's – all right, well, Michael O'Shea passed, uh, you know, non-evaluators day one. So, and then uh, in the we talked to him uh, afterward, and you know, he he had kind of the answers you'd expect from Mike O'Shea's son. Of like, yeah, that, I mean, that part's not really important and stuff like that. No, I just try to go out there and play, and I don't think about the fact that I'm playing for my dad. I just want to show him what I can do as a football player. But that's certainly, I mean, in amongst the twenty-some stories we've not covered, Michael O'Shea Jr. is certainly. Uh, certainly going to be a good one if it's if it turns out well for the young man you know from I, I played the clips earlier on the show from both michael o'shea senior and junior i don't get the sense that there's any kind of nepotism here it's just if this kid is good enough to play he's gonna play yeah i i, I wouldn't necessarily believe it from everybody but when michael o'shea says it and his son's kind of in that same vein i, I believe it from michael o'shea because he talked to us before uh, in advance of things like the draft, uh, about who it would be essentially, I'll put words in his mouth. It'd be kind of awkward if my son, if we drafted my son or my son played for me, there's the potential for some awkwardness. Today, uh, within the clips you, you played, you know, Mike O'Shea, the head coach, says, I don't think you really need to explain to guys, you know, how to, how to deal with it. They, they're grown men. They know what they're doing. They know that it's going to be, you know, uphill for them to make the team. At the best of times. So I don't really feel like we need to have conversations, but we're certainly happy to talk to guys to let them know, hey, everybody's going to get a fair shot here. He also talked about uh, 36-year-old rookie Carl Schmitz, which brings up one of the big battles in training camp, and it's that of punter. And, and a lot of the players brought in would qualify for rookie camp. So did you see anything in terms of the booming legs of the punters today? Uh, we didn't see, as I try to count back, it, practice was about two and a half hours. I don't remember any punting whatsoever. Oh, okay. Uh, well. We had, yeah, we had place kicking. Chandler Staten and Mark Orozco did some place kicking because uh, the veterans, Mark Leggio and Sergio Castillo, aren't in camp yet. But uh, it was it was neat watching Staten and Orozco. Uh, Orozco line drive a fifty yarder with about fifteen yards to spare, and you went, mm. okay, that's a pro football leg, sure. Yeah, 
Uh, I don't know if it, like, I, I doubt it's going to be here. Like, the job has got to be Sergio Castillo's to lose, but Staten's got a, you know, got a really easy swing and the ball just explodes off his foot. Orozco has a real hammer. You go, okay, some other team may, may be looking if they've got room for an American place kicker. And Derek Taylor joining us here nightly as part of Training Camp Reports, brought to you by Stars Air Ambulance, caring for Manitobans when and where you need us most. So for you then, what was the big standout from night or day one of rookie camp, if there was one? Well, I was I was watching quite closely. Like Kalar, Zach Kalars was there, as you've been talking about, and uh, Drew Brown was there. So you put an eye on those guys. But I was kind of surprised Carlton Agadosi was was there because he was I guess he was asked by the club to be there but he played in two games last year so I don't think he's a hundred percent obliged to to be there because I don't know if he's really qualifies as a guy for rookie camp but Carlton was there at wide receiver taking his first reps and man he looks good coming back from that broken ankle right the long strides the quick turnover the nice hands like and, and just that big lanky frame uh, Ted Wyman of Winnipeg's son just leaned over me and goes, I can't get over how 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 long his legs are. He goes, yeah, that guy's a legit 6'6", and it's it's not he's not super thick. He probably goes 210 pounds. He's hardly frail by any stretch of the imagination. He's just, it's stark how different he is body-wise from so many receivers in the Canadian Football League. And, and Carlton looks, looks like he's back 100%. And to, to hear him, we heard from him just before the break, uh, to hear him, his mind is certainly back at 100%. He never really left being around the team. And that's going to be one of the interesting conversations when it comes to the roster for the first game of the season is who starts at that wide receiver spot that Rasheed Bailey was in last year. Is it going to be Bailey again or is it going to be Agadosi? Because if you can also get Bailey on the roster as a backup, you can use that new 49% nationalized American rule and get Bailey in on some snaps in some five American receiver set or some four American receiver sets. So uh, that's, that's the one I'm going to be very curious about for Sunday. Who's with the, which one of those guys with the first team at wide receiver? Because we heard Mike O'Shea say it, it's a good problem to have, right? An overabundance of players at a certain position. And this has been a topic for the Bombers the last couple of years when they've had all these receivers and, they had a decent number of injuries at that position last year, and every time someone got hurt, someone else would come in and do a good job. And and so there is the thought that, yeah, they've got this many guys now. Someone's going to get hurt inevitably. But at some point, if you're someone like Carlton Agadosi, you, you look at the depth chart and you say, wow, this is going to be tough, right? Yeah, absolutely, because it's it's not it's not super deep, but the, the first five are fantastic. The first five are the envy. Of, of the rest of the Canadian Football League, with the exception of maybe Edmonton. But Bailey, Schoen, Dembski, Lawler, Wolitarski is is the best starting five in the Canadian Football League. Agadosi, plus those other four, uh, excluding Bailey, would, would be the best starting five in the Canadian Football League. So, so you have a little bit of cover in that Bailey could... Bailey was a slot receiver two years ago. He was a wide receiver last year. He could provide cover for anybody... They're not overwhelmed with Canadian depth, so if Dembski gets hurt, then you know, then you lose a real weapon in there, and you probably have to contemplate the ratio. Uh, and then as you go further down, like Janari Grant's had some time at receiver; he's probably not a receiver at this level. Tavares Harrison had a couple of games on the roster last year. He looks he looks smooth, but there must be something that kept him off the roster this past season when you know when the injuries 
it came upon. So uh, to me, they're not very, they're not super deep, but at the very top, like that is the, that is the best starting five in the Canadian Football League for my dollar. So it's going to be hard for rookies, and I talked with Ed about this yeah. last night. It's going to be hard for rookies on almost any position to really make a breakthrough, right? Yeah, and as I was watching, I was watching some linebackers uh, today. I was watching G. Stanley and Barrington Wade, and those were two guys. Uh, G. Stanley, I presume, is, is a cover linebacker, and Barrington Wade looks like he's more a, a weak side or, or middle linebacker. And I watched those guys and go, man, these two guys move really well. But then you look at the depth chart and you go, okay, uh, Adam Big Hill and Kyrie Wilson aren't going anywhere, right? So I I, I feel bad, but I, I feel bad for guys. They're like, okay, well, can you beat out Malik Clements or Brian Cole as a depth linebacker and special teams player? And if, you know, Clements ended up with a bunch of starts last year. Is is that what you're shooting for, or are you auditioning potentially for somebody else? Maybe at the end of camp, you know. The coach or Kyle Walters makes a call and goes, "Hey, by the way, this guy's really good." So maybe, maybe think about him. But it's it's funny, right, Christian? As you're watching a 15 win team reload right. for the next year, I, I you kind of I, I thank you guys all for coming, but we were we we're pretty great in just about every spot. But there's always an unsung hero here and there, and every training camp has it, right? Where someone comes in and surprises you, and next thing you know, you see maybe a veteran or two. Doesn't make the cut, and, and the Bombers have been up against the cap. They got, what was the, the they were fined or, or for the salary, going over the salary cap a couple weeks ago, right? That was yeah. the punishment they had to pay out, the, the difference they were over the cap they had to give back? Yeah, four teams were four teams went over the salary cap last season. The Bombers went over by the most, but it was under $100,000. And since it was under $100,000, they paid a, a, doll, a $1 fine for every $1 they were over the salary cap. So... I believe it was like it was in the area of sixty-six thousand dollars that they paid up uh, as far as fines. Uh, that's one, that's one roster player, basically. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, and that's that's that could have been. I was trying to work backward on what would that have been. Would uh, it had Nick Dembski been on six games instead of the the you know instead of coming off after four games, that would have solved all their problems, right? But you're not leaving Nick Dembski off the roster. You kind of you know let's figure it out later. It's uh, yeah, it's it's a loaded roster. Uh, yeah, it's oh, it's 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 so good. I can't wait for Sunday. And finally, just before I let you go, and you'll be on tomorrow and Friday, and every day until the season starts. Basically, uh, is there a specific thing you're going to be looking for tomorrow? I'm gonna I'm gonna pay attention to uh, defensive tackles tomorrow. I think because that's that's a spot where we don't really know who's there, right? Ricky Walker was a depth player last year. He was deeper down the depth chart two years ago. But with Casey Sales gone, Ricky Walker's the only returning American defensive tackle. So what do what does O'Brien Vinson look like? What does uh, Nate Gibbon look like? What are, what are the Americans who, who they've gone to uh, free agency to get uh, look like? And then can anybody bust through in the defensive backfield? Because there are a couple spots that are absolute locks because those guys are CFL All-Stars. But there's there's other guys that you go. You know what? They could be they could be unseated because they're not they're not sure. So uh, I'm gonna look. I'm gonna hopefully look more at defense tomorrow. Well, Derek, appreciate your time tonight, and looking forward to having you on a lot over the next few weeks. Can't wait, brother. That's Derek Taylor, voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, for our nightly training camp updates. <laughs> to our next interview now. 
Centennial Cup. It begins tomorrow in Portage. La Prairie, the top junior A teams from across the country gather for national supremacy. This year, the Terriers are the host team, which means two representatives from the MJHL. The Terriers fell in the MJ semifinals in seven games, upset by Verdon in double overtime in Game 7. And then the Oil Caps were probably dispatched in five games by the Steinbeck Pistons. Pistons allowed exactly zero goals in their three home wins in that series. And they begin their run in Portage tomorrow night against the Collingwood Blues from Ontario. It's a team not far from where I grew up in Terra, Ontario, near Owen Sound. But I digress. The longtime coach of the Pistons is Paul Dick. Their schedule is pretty tight tonight, so caught up with them this afternoon. We started by talking about the excitement that the tournament is finally here. Well, excited to be here. Um, you know, arrived uh, yesterday, so guys are all settled in, and I think it's kind of all sunk in. We've had some time here after our finals to, uh, one, rest, and two, prepare. And, and uh, But, you know, always a little surreal. It was at the um, – it, it was our goal at the start of the season to be here. We're here, and um, so a little more work to do yet. It's been almost two weeks since you've played, since you beat Verdon in five to win the Turnbull Cup. What have you been doing to, to stay sharp? What has the team been up to to make sure you don't get too rusty? Yeah, well, it's always trying to find some balance. I think coming out of the playoffs, we had some, you know, some series that were uh, were difficult and, and physical. So it took a toll on us physically. And um, so we, we thought that the first three days we were just going to spend away from the rink and just start to, you know, some rest and recovery. And then we just had uh, three practices that were up-tempo and, and uh, really trying to get our pace back. And and then we took another two days away from the rink, and then we went hard for another two. So, you know, the practices were competitive. There was a great intensity in them. I think uh, there was a, a renewed focus, uh, you know, after the championship. We There's always that little bit of exhale. You know, we've accomplished what we were looking to do, but um, – the boys also were, were fully aware that um, there was the next phase of our journey that we're still trying to complete. Looking back at that Turnbull Cup final, I'm sure you were expecting in your heart of hearts that it would be Portage that gets to the final, but Verdon knocked them out in the previous round. To to win three of the games via shutout, what does that say about your team and what they were able to accomplish? Well, it, was, it really spoke to our, our buy-in defensively and our play away from the puck and something that we really stressed and we learned a lot of lessons through the regular season, but, but in the playoffs, I think we really started to have a good understanding of what makes us successful and um, what gives us an opportunity to win every night. So what I liked about it is, you know, you you can't always control how many goals you're going to score in a night. I think you can uh, have a little more say on what you're, what you're going to give up or what you're willing to give up. And so, um, you know, a shutout is obviously a, reflective of some goaltending but we felt it was a, a team effort that contributed to that three shutouts on home ice I mean I would never guess that was going to be the outcome but uh, real proud of uh, you know of the effort the guys put in so now you get to go to what is now called the Centennial Cup they've changed the format over the years they've changed the name over the years but uh, now you just get right in there's no uh, Anavet Cup anymore you just get to go right into it do you prefer that it's a more expanded field than say back in 2013 when you won the MJ, but only five teams got to go to the tournament and you didn't make it there. Yeah, that's right. And, and then uh, exactly. And then in 18, we were able to, we played the Anavit, and we were able to advance to the RBC cup at the time. Now it's back to the Centennial cup, but you know, I was able to attend the event last year in Estimate and it had a great feel to it. 
all of the leagues are represented. Um, you know, so virtually every province has representation and truly really had a, a feel of a national championship. And if you look at this year's field, it's, it's extremely strong. If you look at the CJHL rankings uh, from the end of the regular season, I think eight of the top teams in the country are here. So um, uh, I don't know if you, in, you know, in the history of the event, if there's going to be a deeper, a deeper field, but uh, I, I like it. Um, it. It certainly makes the tournament a little longer, probably puts, a, <laughs> it's a little more work for the host committee. I'm sure here in Portage, but uh, I think they've done a great job with that, but yeah, I, I, I it had uh, the full support, I believe of all the leagues in the country. And um, like I said, uh, last year, I had a great feel to it. For you personally, you were obviously the players aren't the same because that's it's junior hockey. But six year, or five years ago, when you went to the 2018 Royal Bank Cup, uh, no wins, two overtime losses, two losses in those four games. What can you personally and your staff take away from that experience and apply to this year's event? Well, things happen quickly. Um, you know, two of the two of the losses were in overtime. We felt like we could have very easily gone two and two. So, uh, you know, I think. When you play in these short-term events, I mean, you have to reset really quickly. Every game has so much importance, and uh, it's not about necessarily running the table in the round robin. It's just winning the right games that you can advance to into, into the playoffs. So, uh, but you know, each year it's different. There's different opposition again, and and, uh, and the format's slightly different than 2018 again. But uh, I think you know the biggest thing that we took away from. Uh, the tournaments that we've been at is is sometimes we've been over prepared and and just going in and really focusing on what the other teams do um, to an extent where it might have been crippling for our guys at the start of games where it was just we, we focused a little too much on what our opposition was doing instead of really playing to our strengths and and trying to execute our game plan. So how has preparing for teams that you haven't faced all year? <laughs> In, in a tournament like this, Collingwood, Battleford's, uh, Cam River, and then Portage in your group. You have obviously played them a bunch of times, but those other three teams, is it easier than ever to scout them now with all the readily available hockey streaming that's out there? Oh, no question. Um, you know, we use a platform called Instat. Uh, it gives us access to, you know, especially teams from from any team in, in the CJHL. So, you know, within a few hours, we can have a really in-depth scouting report of each team, and uh, you can you can pinpoint on certain players and uh, what their strengths and weaknesses are, and you can you can you can pull up certain face-offs in, in against an individual player as well. So, very detailed in, in what we're able to access. Definitely makes it uh, much more efficient for for uh, coaching staffs. Yeah, I mean, there was a time when guys were putting tapes in, in VHSs that they were trying to acquire from other provinces. And, you know, now we're accessing a platform that takes us, a, you know, two, three hours and we can have a pretty good scouting report on a team that we've never seen before. So on that note, Collingwood tomorrow, your opening game, what's the scouting report on them without giving away too many state secrets? <laughs> well, one, they're very well coached, uh, play with a lot of structure, uh, a tremendous defensive team. They gave up 25 goals in 18 playoff games, less than two goals a game. And, and, uh, and that's really how that team is built. So, you know, we're going to have to be patient and, and be willing to play a low scoring game and, and um, take advantage of opportunities we have. But I mean, we, we we're similar in that fact, you know, we, we, we take pride in our play away from the puck as well. So, 
it's going to be a fast-paced game. I can tell you that. They're an extremely hardworking team, well-coached, and uh, very deserving of being here. And then you got Portage the night after that. For you, obviously not the host team, but you're still in the host province. So are you expecting to have a pretty heavy contingent of Pistons fans in Portage? Yeah, I think we should have a good crowd. Uh, no no question. And, you know, Portage has had tremendous support. I was able to be there for Game 7 against Burton. It was a full house. And I expect to see that uh, type of atmosphere here. And we, of course, have had a tremendous rivalry over the years and faced each other numerous times in the playoffs. And, uh, you know, we know what to expect from them. You know, Blake's going to have that group very prepared for this. They've had, you know, maybe an extra week of rest. But uh, uh, and I know they were they – were, you know, quite ill during their playoff run there as well. So um, they're probably looking for a little redemption. It's, it's you know, it's a team that no one's going to be able to overlook. That's for certain. Finally, just what does this tournament mean to junior hockey in our country? Well, first of all, it has a tremendous history. It's got a rich history. The Centennial Cup's been around for a long, long time, and it is the pinnacle of – of junior a hockey and this is where every player entering the season wants to be come may and you know it's it's a it's a long season but um you, you know it's i think it's just so important i mean uh um like i mentioned there's there's the great history but uh it's a big part of the fabric of this country and and uh, you know I'm, I'm a huge proponent of amateur sport and of course uh, our game and it's uh, it's kind of the last, um, I guess it's kind of the end of the road for grassroots. Uh, uh, you know, in the Centennial Cup, for a lot of guys, they are now leaving um, the minor hockey or the amateur system in Canada and moving on to college hockey and potentially pro at some point. So, you know, it's kind of the end of the road for a lot of guys. But uh, if, you, if you reach this point, it's the pinnacle. It will be some of the greatest memories these players will uh, take with them from their hockey careers. Well, Paul, wish you all the best at this year's tournament. Congrats on making it and have fun. Yeah, I appreciate it. I'm really looking forward to it. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you over the day. You may not share our intellect, which might explain.